Welcome, everyone, to the Change Starts Here podcast. I'm your host, Dustin Odom. And on this week's episode, we welcome Britton Covey, who is the grandson of Stephen Covey, the author of The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And he's the son of Stephen M. R. Covey, who's the author of The Speed of Trust book. Um, we dive into what it's like to grow up uh, in the house of... Uh, a great author and also be the grandson of a phenomenal leader. Uh, there's some funny stories that he shares with us. Also, um, if you don't know who Britton Covey is, he's one of the best kick returners in all of college football. He plays for the University of Utah and he is impressive to watch. Um, if you haven't seen the YouTube clip uh, of his kickoff return against Ohio State this year in the Rose Bowl, feel free to pause it, go look at it and then come back. We invited Britton not just because he's an amazing talent on the football field. He's actually incredibly impressive as a person. Um, we dive into the lessons he's learned from being, as he's described, one of the smallest football players out there. He had a great high school career, but he was always told he was too small. And so he talks about how he was overcome, how he was able to overcome that perception as a kid. We talk about the challenges of going through multiple coaches and what leadership lessons he's learned because of that. We talk about uh, how to overcome even injury and insecurity of that. While most people who know him, I think tease him for being the old man on the football team, uh, he's still very, very young in terms of uh, the wisdom that he has to share. It's just impressive. It's one of my most enjoyable conversations. Uh, like I said, if you're a parent, it's a great it's a great thing to listen to. If you're an educator, it's an awesome interview to listen to. If you love football, it's a great interview. If you don't, it's still a great interview. Um, he's incredibly talented. I cannot wait to see what he does both on the football field and off the football field in the future. It was an honor to have him. And uh, thanks for joining us. Enjoy this interview. It was awesome. Uh, if you haven't subscribed before, please subscribe. Uh, we need all support we can get. And we thank you so much for your support. You've already given to us already. Again, Britton, uh, Covey, everyone. Enjoy it. Britton, thanks so much for making time for us. We're excited to have you. Um, I want to start the podcast off like I start every podcast, which is, who are you and what do you love about what you do? Well, I'm Britton Covey. I, uh, most people, I think, know me for either being the grandson of Stephen Covey, right, the bald one, um, or for being the Utah football player, right? I've played there for the past quite a while. And uh, what I love about what I do, which right now is football, it's kind of interesting, not, you know, how many people get to say that they get to play a game, you know, for, for what they do. Uh, but what I love about what I do is I feel like I get to defy a lot of odds that are placed on me because of, you know, I'm sure we'll talk about it, but just my size and kind of where I come from, things like that. Um, and I am just, I love to be competitive. I, I, I feel like in life, I'm not as competitive in terms of, you know, like, competition with other people and other random things but in football something happens to me and I just love to compete you know I love to take on a guy like twice my size even if it's completely foolish and so I think it's just a great outlet for me to <laughs> get some of that out my wife makes fun of me and says that you know the testosterone it's a good thing you have football to just kind of release some of that <laughs> you know just get it out oh man that's so true well tell me a little bit about uh so when you say you know, I assume a lot of people listening have heard of you or know where you are. If you haven't, go have fun on YouTube. That's a rabbit hole you can go down for a long time in terms of highlights. Um, but when you talk about your size, tell tell the audience, you know, how big you are and why, for those of, for those of who are listening that don't know football that well, why that's a detriment or why that could be seen as a right. detriment. Yeah, well, I mean, I feel like I'm an average size guy, but maybe that's just kind of the mentality that I had to have in order to succeed with, with football, but I I'm five, eight, 160 pounds, um, 165 actually with pads, with pads, with, pads. yeah, 165. Um, so I am the second shortest on my team and I weigh the second least on my team. There's one guy that's smaller than me and I love to stand next to him so that I feel a little bit better about myself, but yeah, I'm, I'm pretty much the weakest, um, in terms of weight room strength mm. on my team. And I have been for the past, right, five years that I've played. Uh, I, at one point in my life, the average height of my friends was I think 6'4", or 6'3", or 6'4", 220 pounds. So I'm, I feel like a, you know, 
a man amongst or a boy amongst men, yeah. <laughs> if you can say it like that. Well, one interesting thing that I, so I told you earlier, I had aspirations of playing college basketball uh, and never once paused to think about my athletic limitations, like not being able to dunk, not be able to run fast or jump high or any, any of the right. things that you need for basketball. I did not have in raw abilities. Um, you were, I think, all state in high school as a quarterback. Yet when, for anybody who doesn't know the recruiting process, students often send out their tapes and their highlight reels out to uh, schools to try to get noticed. Hmm. I think you, you mentioned somewhere on social media that uh, you didn't send any of your quarterbacking clips out and focus more on maybe running or catching or just non-quarterback things. Is that right? And how did you, yeah. how did you decide to do that? Like, I don't, I don't, I can't imagine many high schoolers have the emotional maturity to, to make that, that call. Right. Well, a lot of it came down to, so in the recruiting process, right, I had schools reach out to me. I reached out to a lot of schools. And what I realized early on was everybody was going to view my height and my size pretty much one of two ways. It was going to be the, like you said, kind of the detriment. Um, it, it might be the weakness in my game or uh, certain teams would tell me, you know, we're really going to have to bulk you up if you decide to come play here, or we're really going to have to, you know, you're going to have to put on some weight, some muscle. Um, and I always kind of steered away from those schools because I've always viewed my size as an advantage, right? Being able to be low to the ground, low center of gravity, quick. Um, and that's what was so appealing to me about Utah was they always viewed my size kind of as an advantage, or at least they never viewed it as a disadvantage. Um, they had a history of playing smaller guys. And that honestly, that process taught me a lot about just like weaknesses, how others view your weaknesses, how you should view yours. And at the end of the day, I mean, when I got to Utah, I still was the smallest, but I had certain things that made me special, right? And it always, I, a base, a quote from my grandpa, actually, um, that's why it's fun to do a podcast, right? With Franklin Covey, a quote <laughs> from my grandpa pretty much became the, the mantra, or the motto for my college career. And it was, it, it's in one of his books. And I think he's paraphrasing another quote, but it's disregard weaknesses and organize to make them become irrelevant. So build on your strengths and organize to become, to make weaknesses become irrelevant. It's not disregard weaknesses. It's build on your strengths organized to make weaknesses become irrelevant. And I feel like that's kind of what I tried to do was I knew that even if I got stronger, I wasn't going to be big enough to block a linebacker um, every time or, or do certain things, but I built on my strengths and it made all of those things that many people viewed as weaknesses. I never had um, become irrelevant, completely irrelevant. Um, and so I think that kind of became the motto for my career. And I've always told that to coaches and players um, yeah, it's important to build your weaknesses to a certain point, but more important than that is to build your strengths far above where other people's are. And I just think that that's, you know, a lot better way to look at things, especially in sports. So we're going to fit, we're going to focus this, this whole podcast on you. But as you bring up your grandfather, I started like going to a, a funny place in my head of thinking, man, was your like weekly, like nightly dinner table, you got your dad who wrote a life-changing book for me, Speed of Trust. Obviously, we know your grandfather and none of us, I, this podcast wouldn't exist without him and his leadership. And so for me, like, is, is that what your life was like? Like one quotable after another every night or uh, was yeah. it different? Was it a little bit like, did you get to see a different side, I guess is what I'm curious of. Well, a little bit of both. Honestly, there, there were times when my grandpa, we called Papa, right? Yep. He, we would be at a family event and he would say, all right, family council or meeting or whatever it was. And all of us younger cousins would be like, oh no, because we know we'd have to go sit in some three hour, you know, lecture about leadership, which as a 12 year old kid, you know, what do you, if I could go back now, oh, I would just record it. I would take notes and everything. But at the time it's just like, who wants to, you know? So my dad also carried on some of those traits, you know, all of his family meetings or whatever, they'd be have leadership principles, which is pretty comical. Um, obviously, as I've grown up, all of those principles start to make sense to me and resonate. But I also got to see the side that not many people got to see of my grandpa because uh, he was the goofiest 
And his favorite thing to do was to take a scenario where you were supposed to be professional and just totally flip it on its head and to be totally unprofessional. You know, he'd go meet some, I don't know, high up prime minister or something, and he'd wear fake teeth and a wig, you know, and he just loved to just be a goof and a prankster. Um, and that's kind of the grandpa that I remember. And as I've gotten older, being able to read his stuff, I feel like I've gotten to know him in a completely different way, uh, which is pretty cool as well. But I, so I feel like I got a little bit of both. That's awesome. I, I think, uh, so a couple of questions. One side note is uh, I've got an eight-year-old, a five-year-old, a one-year-old. The eight-year-old might actually come down and interrupt this at some point. So I apologize <laughs> if it happens, but I, I aspire to have, you know, that leadership that your parents are taking or your dad took and your grandfather took. I want to start creating that for my family, but what kind of advice would you give me or anybody else kind of at this stage of life? We're trying to build those at-home meetings or family meetings to be as highly received as possible. So you're not getting as many eye rolls. Is there anything that you would say, this was great. I know you want to go back, but like, what could those have looked like a little bit differently if you were trying to give feedback to make them a little bit more 12 year old friendly, I guess. Right. Well, I mean, I think that's, what's cool about all of this is, you know, I'm sure people look at my grandpa or my dad having written that book and they think like, oh, they must be such you know, perfect in those areas, but they'll be the first ones to admit that they weren't, you know, so much of what they probably tried to teach me just went in, a, in one ear and out the other, things like that. But I would just say the, the one thing that always, I feel like has hit home to me is the emphasis on the one habit of seek first to understand, then to be understood, or just be kind to other people. Mm -hmm. Um, because when you develop kind of that, um, personality, I guess it is to be kind to other people, everything else just flows when it's time. You're not going to teach a, you know, a 12 year old kid about trust as well, you know, <laughs> as when they're 24, but you teach them to be kind and, and that principle, then everything else flows. in after that, so honestly, I think you're probably doing a great job. It may be better than even my dad, it just, but I am very grateful that my dad always put an emphasis on that. Right. Yeah, um, everything else flowed in way after. But what is what's funny if you think about it now, like you know, your dad probably towards the end was getting, or your 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 dad definitely is now. Your grandfather then towards the end of his life was probably getting paid thousands and thousands of dollars for the same meeting he was trying to offer you guys for just hanging out <laughs> on a Sunday, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> that is nuts. All right, let's get off that. I want to. I want here to talk about you. So when you go back to high school, it could even be before that, and you think about the educator or teacher mm -hmm. who inspired you the most. I'm curious to know who that is and what it was that they did that was unique uh, that really helped inspire you, encourage you to uh, make yeah. change in your life. Yeah. Well, I am a huge advocate for educators. Um, my sister McKinley is one of the best people in the world. And I will say that to everybody that I meet. She is just unbelievable. And she's a high school teacher and she just, the way she loves her kids is, is unbelievable. And it's been such a difficult past couple of years for teachers, right? With everything going on, um, I just admire them. And so I love to look back at, you know, the teachers that helped me. And I would, I, two people come to mind, um, one teacher in particular, and then an experience with another teacher. I feel like the first experience that really marked me was my freshman year, I had a class with Mr. Myrup. Um, I, I probably, I haven't even talked to Mr. Myrup in years. I should go back and tell him about this. He was great. Uh, Mr. Myrup, he taught biology. And I still remember we had our buddy, I forget, you know, our classmate that you did the labs with and things like that. Yep. Well, he put me with um, an exchange student um, from South America. And he the exchange student didn't speak much English and he was struggling in the first semester of the class. Right. Anyways, he put me with him. And at first I was like, Oh, I gotta be with this guy. Like it's going to be hard, you know? And like, he, he, he's a lot different than I am. But then Mr. Myrup called me in privately and basically like said, Hey, I put you with him because I just, I trust you and who you are and how kind you are to people. Like he's having a really hard time. I really need you to be good to him. And it, and it totally just changed my perspective on, on the situation. Right. Yep. And 
so it, it helped me. First of all, it, it made me feel like, oh, he needs me. Like I, you know, it gave me the inspiration to help him. But looking back, I just admire Mr. Myrup for doing something like that. You know, I feel like every teacher on a personal level wants to help their kids. And just to do something like that and to pick a kid who he thinks is going to help the kids struggling and privately in a very like sensitive and not, you know, like pity case kind of scenario, just help him. I just think that's really admirable. And looking back at that, I really admire that experience. Um, and then my other one is, um, it's gotta be my senior year student council <laughs> teacher, um, Mrs. Bowers, who I still am in contact with today, just because she never, <laughs> she was the first teacher that wouldn't let me get away with just doing the bare minimum and then just, you know, like kind of trying to, you know, how would you say it? Make my, you know, be like, oh, Mrs. Bowers, it's okay. You know, she was the first one that tried to hold me to my actual potential, but not in an annoying or frustrating way because sometimes teachers that try to do that without having the relationship, it comes off, you know, to the kid like, oh, they're just, it's annoying. But when they have that relationship with you, like I did with Mrs. Bowers, and then she wouldn't let me get away with any of my crap, as you would say, right? Yep. It, it, uh, she pushed me harder than, you know, many teachers did. Yeah. So it seems like, uh, a, a, some unifying thing is one, you want educators who really get to know you, right? Know you, not just yeah. they know you, right? And then two, hold you to high expectations. In Mr. Myers' case, it's like, look, I believe in your skill set from a, you know, EQ side and a, an emotional side of, build the relationship and you can help them. And on uh, Ms. Bowers, I guess, uh, on her side, it's like, I believe you can perform better academically. I'll get to right. it. And because they knew you and you knew they loved you, you, you were able to figure it out, right? Right. And it definitely like, it's like that pyramid of influence, right? When so much of the influence that we think we have on people is verbal or things like that, when really the base of it is relationship and example, right? It, it, I had teachers try to do that in the past and it'd always be annoying, be like, oh, they're trying to make me redo my essay when I totally thought I'd slide by with this one, right? But I had the relationship with Mrs. Bowers where it was just different. And I know that, you know, that's a lot to ask of teachers, but just to, that's what I, that's what marked me, what impacted me. So on that, so we, we fast forward to college and, uh, and I apologize if I get your timeline wrong. Uh, was yeah, it I, freshman year? Was it before your freshman year? Or was it after your freshman year where you tore your ACL? When was that in your college? It was after. So it was, it was the last game of my sophomore year that I okay. tore my ACL in meniscus. So that happened. Obviously, anybody who knows your team, you've had some unfortunate events, really close friends of yours uh, with some tragedies. Like, and I don't, I don't need you to go down that path because I'm sure that's, that's got to be tough for anybody. But you know, you've battled through some real adversity, both personally yeah physically and in your community and in the midst of time of COVID. I mean, just think, I mean, all the things, what have you learned about how to handle adversity, tragedy, and grief over this time? Yeah. Oh man. Yeah, that was tough. I mean, obviously the ACL and meniscus was hard because I tried to come back and I did everything I could. I worked so hard, but my body just didn't respond to the treatments that I would give it and the the hard work, my body just wouldn't respond well. And so I had to take a whole year off um, before I ended up healing well enough. And then this last year with, with my teammates, Ty and Aaron, who passed, um, was really tough for all of us. I mean, no 19 year old kid should have to experience, you know, the death of a close friend and teammate. So that was hard for me, my whole team. Um, and you know what the turning point in all of that was uh, with Ty and Aaron was to have Aaron's mom come to the team and talk to us after it happened and basically give us permission to go forward because you felt guilty yep. enjoying yourself at football. You felt guilty smiling. You felt guilty moving forward and stuff and, and you want to honor them. And then, so she just kind of gave us that permission. She's like, he would want you to smile. That's what he did all the time, right? He'd want you to go forward um, and play your hearts out and have fun and, and grow your brotherhood with each other. And so that gave us this permission to kind of band together. And it was really cool because football became secondary at that point. Mm -hmm. uh, 
And that's what was, it's interesting. It is football became secondary and that's when we kind of took off as a team. Um, the, the less tangible things of football came first after that. Um, and we really just bonded together and just started dominating, right. And playing really well, which was so fun, but I learned a lot from this last season with adversity, but I think the main thing I did was that concept of as paradoxical as it sounds, football became secondary and that helped us fill these other gaps that translated to the field. Um, but it was a tough year still, you know, still is, but, but we, I have a stronger bond with this team than any team I've played with for sure. I don't, I don't mean to trivialize that experience, but I know that yeah. I've seen an interview or two of yours that have said, you know, you're interested in possibly being a coach one day. And I know there are people listening here who are coaches who have, who have you know, close friends who are coaches. I'm curious, one interesting tidbit you said, you know, we stopped making all about football and focus on other things while we were, and your performance skyrocketed. And I love college right. football. And because Josh loves you, I pay attention to a lot of your games. Uh, you know, I live in the Midwest. Yeah. <laughs> I would not normally watch Utah football. I do because of that. And so, uh, what what lessons or what things would you instill when you get to be a coach or would you encourage coaches yeah. to think about how to focus on the non-football in the midst of football right. without right. having to experience a tragedy, of course? Right. Well, I, I would say a few things. We definitely still focused on football, but I would say we rallied behind kind of principles for example like the 22 so they were number 22 for those who don't know right my teammates both of them were war number 22 and so we had this kind of motto of get 22 percent better every day um or every week or, or whatever it was and we rallied behind that and obviously that it translates to football but it we meant it in every area and there was such a a passion behind that and a buy-in behind that concept that I feel like it just changed everything for us. And so, you know, we were 22% better on the field. We were 22% better, better brothers, sons, you know, husbands, whatever it was. So as a coach, honestly, you just get something that everybody can buy into and truly rally behind and, and kind of see. And I think that was the biggest thing. And obviously that had to do with football because you do 22% better in the film room or the weight room. But it's more the concept, right, that everybody bought in to that. And, you know, sometimes you'd break it out before practice. You know, you call in a break. You say, OK, go to work on three, one, two, three, go to work. But when you said, OK, 22 percent on three, everybody just knew, OK, there's no more messing around. Like, I don't say that unless I mean it kind of thing. So I think that that was really cool by the coaches. And it was something we could kind of get behind. Um, and so, yeah, I don't know, what, you know, how you do that without tragedy, but I've had coaches do that. So I've had so many coaches make such an impact on my life. That's part of the reason why I want to be a coach. Yeah. Um, but I think I've played for three different offensive coordinators, three different receivers, coaches, three different special teams, coordinators, seen a lot of different styles. So how, how hard is that for, for someone? Uh, I don't know how we create an analogy that may be non-football related, but like, <laughs> People would hear, I mean, again, think about how complex offenses are in mm -hmm. football. I don't, I'm, I got, I should probably do this and uh, save you from trying to make the analogy for us. Oh, you're good. To have three different offensive coordinators, yeah. there's different verbiage, there's different thought patterns, philosophies, paradigms, all those things. And you've got to perform quickly. It's not like you get exponential uh, practices to get there. And so right. what, what's the key? Cause here you go. I'll do, I'll solve this yeah. for you. So like an education we could get a lot of turnover with new principals or superintendents. What's the key for you to be able to adapt and be successful yeah. under each new leadership? Yeah. Well, I mean, and you're fine, Dustin. So I, I am, I will go and speak at other companies and I always have to like somehow find this bridge from sports experience, you know, cause I'm not some real estate agent or something, you know, I spoke at a real estate company the other week and I'm like, what do I know about that? Right. And so I'm just trying to like weave it into it. Um, but for me, the biggest thing I would say from player to coach and coach to player is, is trust 
because I've played for coaches that, you know, there's a, there's a quote that basically said it's a higher compliment to be trusted than it is to be loved. Um, or it's a higher compliment to be respected than it is to be liked. And for me, I've played for coaches who I've really liked, right? They're people pleasers. They just get along great with you, but I don't really trust them when it comes down to it. Yep. And I don't perform the way I could. Whereas I've also played for coaches who they kind of get on your nerves. <laughs> They're kind of annoying, right? You don't like them in the moment maybe, but man, you trust them. You respect them because they walk the walk. They talk the talk, but you trust them. And that makes for the best teams. Now you can have both. It's not like you have to have one or the other, but I would say that principle uh, is just like, I feel like it's so easy. And I'm nervous about this for when I'm a coach, honestly, because I, I feel like we're all people pleasers, but I want to be a people pleaser. Yes. When you're a coach, you're going to have 75% of your players think that you're wronging them by not playing, right? They're like, oh, coach, he just has something against me. Just, you know, so they might not like you. And that's kind of hard for me to imagine like, oh no, my players won't like me in the moment. But as long as they trust and respect me, I, you know, you can get things done. And they come back after the fact and they're like, man, I see what you were doing. I really appreciate and love you for that. Um, but I, I would by far that principle for me. So an offensive coordinator would come, would come in. And if you respected and trusted him, you know, that was way more important than just getting along with him, I would say. Yeah. What are, what are the ways from your standpoint? Again, I know you grew up in a household where you have one of the people on the foremost, like leadership side of trust, right. In organizations. Right. <laughs> but from your, just your words, Britton, like when you think about what does a coach need to be doing quickly? Or when you're, you're going to become a coach, what do you need to quickly to earn that trust? Like, how are right. you going to get it quickly? Because again, especially in the, the life cycle of a college football coach, right? assuming they come in, in the, for fall pra or for spring practice, they've got a few weeks. Yep. Yeah, you've got some other times, but like really you got a few weeks and then it's like game time. Like it, yeah. you got no time really. Like they could, you got months, but really no real football time. So right. how do you create trust? First thing I would say, and this happened, I saw this happen many times with coaches, is yeah. don't, ma don't make empty promises. There's no quicker way to lose trust than to make empty promises. You, you should see this in the recruiting world right now. Mm. You'll have coaches and that in their mind, the end goal is to get this recruit to sign with the team. Oh, we signed him. He's going to be on our team next year. Job is done. And so they'll basically use any means or any tactic to get this player. So I've I've seen coaches, you know, go into a player's home, a high schooler's home and say, hey, you're going to come in and you're going to start from day one. You're going to come in. You're going to do this. You're going to start. We want you for this. And then the kid's like, oh, sweet. Right. He signs a letter of intent, goes to play there. He gets there and he realizes, oh, he said that same thing to two other players and those other players are in the room and I'm not starting. There's no quicker way to lose trust than that right empty promises to kids about oh you're going to play next week and then they don't so i always appreciated coaches that would be very honest with me about things and tell me that they were being honest even if it wasn't exactly what i wanted to hear um, that built trust tremendously more than and more than anything there was no quicker way to lose trust right than to than to have these empty promises um so i would say that and then i would just say the last thing is the principle of just integrity because you want a coach who's the same around every player and doesn't treat his star players different than his, you know, and that's a little unrealistic sometimes. I mean, the star <laughs> players know they can get away with things, right? But a coach who's not everything to everyone, but he's who he is to everyone and the same person, I would say those are the biggest things because you can respect that, you know, even if you don't you know, I had a certain coach who I didn't love um, his style. Um, I'm not going to say who it was, right? Uh, but I didn't love his style or anything like that. But man, I respected him and trusted him because he was that style all the time, no matter what. And he was how he was. And man, I loved him, you know, so at the end, right? So, <laughs> but interesting you say that. So, I played on an AAU basketball team. You know, I'm a little bit older than you. So, uh, my teammate was a guy named Kwame Brown who got drafted number one in yeah. high school. And so, uh, him not showing up to practice versus me not showing up to practice for two different <laughs> things. But to your point, 
you know, our coach, even at the AAU level, still had the same expectations where I felt like we were all treated equally. Right. Um, to go a little deeper on yourself, you know, you're you're a fixture in Utah sports, but now it's growing much wider. Once you once you do what you did against a team like the OHIO uh, in the Rose Bowl, like it gets even more crazy, and you're more you know you're known way outside of Utah. But I would definitely say. You know, the word beloved was used by one of my coworkers recently. And so you, you mean a lot to people you've never met, which is mm. pretty, pretty crazy to probably realize sometimes. And I'm sure that means people are coming up to you all the time, folks popping off on social media. Uh, I know you've got some jokes on Twitter about being old. Uh, I still think you're very young, but I'm sure I've seen that Thank you've you. been teased about <laughs> being pretty old. You know, I think you're going on 35 and you're still in college, but whatever. Yeah. I think Carson Palmer felt that way to me when he was going through college. Um, <laughs> So, you know, that's a lot of weight for anyone to carry. And so um, can you talk about like how you approach the opportunities or responsibilities that come with the success you have mm -hmm. as a student athlete? So you've got yeah. full-time athlete, full-time student. Like, I don't care what anybody says. It's like, yeah, athlete is being athlete at D1 level, especially the full-time. And then you've got, you're doing speaking engagements and other things that come in this world. Like, how do you balance like that beloved, like the opportunities mm -hmm. and responsibilities that come with being known, like you're known? Yeah. Well, I think part of it is knowing why I'm known, you know, sometimes I feel like people love me because I'm a good football player, which is cool. But what always means a lot to me is when like a little kid comes up to me and is like, I'm the shortest on my team too, you know, because it's like, I feel like I've become the, the, sh the short guy that, <laughs> that all other short guys look to in the, in the football world in Utah, at least, um, and so that, you know, that means a lot to me to, because I was that kid, right? I, I mean, I still could name incidents in my life that I said to myself, I want to be like that, or I don't want to be like that, right? I had a, I had a college player deny me an autograph when I was like nine years old and it broke my heart. So I just made the decision there. I was like, I'm never going to not talk to a, a kid, right? Or a fan. Um, but I also had Todd Watkins. I don't know if you're a BYU fan or he was a BYU receiver. He came to my cousin's birthday party and spent like 30 minutes with me and just talked with me, gave me gloves and it changed my life. Right. And I was like, I want to be like that. So, so that's always a cool thing is to know that like people did that for you. That's who you want to be. But the other thing is, and this is what's hard about the sports world is you're loved when you're good. You're not loved when you're not good. I remember my app and this was one of the hard things about my ACL was I remember my immature freshman self used to love to like get on Twitter after a good game and read all of the comments like, Oh, Covey's great. All the, right. Yep. Just totally feed your ego, things like that. And then I quickly realized, you know, that that's not the best thing to do, but I really realized it after my ACL because I came back and I tried to play with a big old brace on my knee and I just wasn't the same player. And I played for four games and just could tell like I'm not. And I remember getting on Twitter after those games and just like it would just kill me. Just the same people that would say, Covey's fast, he's amazing. We're saying things like, man, he just doesn't have any more. He's just losing it. He's never going to be a good player again. Like, what are we thinking putting him in the game? And I, and I just realized that you can't base your worth off of, one, your performance in a football game, but two, like the way people think about you with that, right? Yeah. And that was huge for me. That taught me a lot because now even when I have a great game, I don't get on Twitter and I don't base my worth on what, the great things that people will say. And I feel like I've gotten a lot more, you know, reasonable in that area. My wife has helped me too, because she'll tell me that, you know, or my mom will tell me I'm not all that. My, my wife still is great, you know, but, <laughs> but uh, your, sorry to cut you off. What, what's your view of social media? Because I feel like, yeah. you know, I, uh, I'll, I'll date myself like Facebook, kind of started getting popular after I graduated. So like yeah. my buddies who were on the football team or basketball team, like you could just not read the newspaper and be fine. You wouldn't right. know a lot of people wouldn't spread it around. Just like, yeah, you had a bad game. A couple people paid attention. Okay. Keep it moving. Right. I feel like now everybody knows everything, mm. but like, and I know you're someone who wants to be kind of in the world, right. To like influence right. and inspire people. 
And the world spends a lot of time on Facebook, Instagram, uh, Twitter, other places, social media, right? And so yeah. like, how do you find that balance mm -hmm. of being engaged, but not so engaged to where it can cripple you or just start messing yeah. with your psyche? Yeah. First of all, let me backtrack and say that my mom is my biggest fan. If she <laughs> listens to this and hears that I said that, she will be appalled. No, my mom just always taught me to not put my worth in football, basically, um, which was an amazing lesson for me and relates to this concept, right? Social media. It's so it's such a hard because like you <laughs> social media is everyone's highlight film, basically. Ooh. Everybody you know, you look at a highlight film of a player and you think that I'm, I could make a low light film of my career. And if that's all people saw, they would be like, why is he on the field? Right. Um, so I could make a low light film, but social media is everybody's highlight film and oftentimes doesn't reflect the reality of certain situations. And I've thought about this because I feel like it's too idealistic sometimes to say like that it's never going to be like that or that it, that it shouldn't be like that, because I'm not just going to post all of my problems on social media either, right? I'm going to post a lot of the good stuff. Uh, I just think it's knowing that about it, you know, this is your highlight, this is everybody's kind of highlight film. And so don't compare yourself to this, you know, my buddy who was the same age of me as me, my best friend in high school, and he's just so successful and making this amount of money or whatever, and I'm not and I feel like I'm so far behind. Um, because you're not right. It's, it's totally different. And so I think everybody kind of goes through, you know, not, I really don't know if I have the best advice other than I think everybody goes through this where it's like, okay, I'm either addicted to social media or I've put too much of my weight in myself on it, or I'm comparing myself. I think everybody experiences it. Well, it's, it's, it's just tough trying to find a balance, right? Cause you, you can, it's easy, the easy answer is like, I'm just going to get off of it. Well, the challenge is if you want to be someone who's influencing people in the world, right. If you want to be relevant. Yeah. You gotta, you gotta engage. And so it's just finding that, that half, that middle ground that that can be so tough, but to your point, right. just like your mom's advice for football is like, you can't get yourself worth from football and you can't get yourself identity and worth from social media or anything that's out there. Yeah. Right? yeah. Like I said, I think so many people experience this and it takes almost being, you know, either addicted to social media or like comparing yourself to so many people to realize and get that perspective that you shouldn't, you know, I almost think it, it doesn't happen for you unless you have experienced the opposite. end. Yeah. Well, I, as Lauren uh, warned us at the beginning, we actually would like to have you back at some point. So I'm not going to keep diving off the deep end with you as I normally would. I want to dive into a few questions. And I actually heard the steps. I got an eight-year-old boy who probably wants to ask you some questions, if you don't mind, at the end. <laughs> Love it. Um, he's only been on one other podcast out of the 50-some-odd we've had. So uh, I don't know if that means you're lucky or blessed. But <laughs> there he is. Hi, say hi, Luke. We'll be back in a second. Hey. Um, <laughs> so he was excited when I heard I was talking to you. Uh, so last few questions and then I'll let you and Luke talk, but, um, what are, what are those habits or disciplines that you have on a daily or weekly basis that you think are key to helping you be the most successful version of yourself? Mm -hmm. Um, I feel like there are so many that you don't think about, but the ones that I kind of consciously try and keep because I know what they do for me is I do try and plan out my day, <laughs> you know, typical like Franklin planner type thing. I, I do try and plan out my day um, in, uh, in one way or another. Uh, I feel like in football, the one thing that I have really started doing in the past few years and, you know, people listening to this can make some correlation to whatever that is in their profession or their life. But for me in my career, the only thing that has slowed me down are injuries. It hasn't been my size. It hasn't been speed or anything like that um, or routes. It's, it's always been injuries. And so for me, injuries are the thing that like, it's the meticulous little dumb things you have to do in the weight room that you don't see any result from other than maybe not getting injured. And so every day after the weight room, I'll spend an extra 30 minutes working on these little muscle groups that I have had injured in the past, my shoulders, my groins, 
Um, and so it's those little things. It's about 30 minutes every day that I spend working these little extra muscles to prevent injury. And honestly, you don't see the visible fruits of it other than not getting injured, right? This last season was the first year that I played all 14 games that I didn't miss a single game. And I think a big part of that is because I developed that habit. And it's this, you know, it's a similar thing with when I was learning to be the punt returner, everybody, the guys I was competing with were so fast and quick, but all I did every day was catch about 50 punts. I hired a punter. I went out and caught 50 punts. And so even though these other guys were so quick and fast, they couldn't catch the ball. They couldn't right. catch the punt. And, and that's all it came down to, right. Was developing that habit of it. And so for me, it's always just finding those habits that like, you know, make or break things, whether I could catch the ball or not made or break if I was the returner and whether I was injured or not made or break, whether I played made or broke, whether I played. Right. And so it's like finding those few things that really change your day for you. Side note, uh, just cause I'm a sports junkie. Uh, I don't know where exactly Mel Kuyper and Todd McShay have you. Um, I, know, uh, I saw a tweet. How cool is it that Todd McShay tweets about you, even if it's on any, yeah, any hey. draft? <laughs> that is awesome. But one of the things that I know that they do, at least for the, the first round, I don't know what they do for later rounds, is the interview. And I'm thinking, whoever your agent is, or if it's yourself, like getting in front of these uh, teams, yeah. and makers is going to be a big thing for you. I feel like I hope so. Those little things is going to be key. Just talking, just you yeah. talking about how you think through it is something that is really refreshing to hear. Yeah. Well, I hope so. I hope I get some opportunities to do that because, yeah. you know, that was another thing is like build, you know, build on your strengths. One of my strengths was kind of the mental side of the game. Uh, you know, I still kind of viewed things like a quarterback in college. And so if I can get in an interview, that would be really big for me. Yeah. I think one thing that we, we talk about with our team here sometimes is like, you need to win fast, lose fast. Right. So mm. like in our organization is that, I want everyone to work with our leader and me solution or Franklin Covey education solutions. We got great solutions, right? Yeah. But it needs to be a fit for them and their vision. Like it works because of them, not because we've got some magic fairy dust. So to your point, why you've got, I think what 32 teams or some odd somewhere around there, like right. it'd be great to have all 32 be interested in you, but you just need one. Like you yeah. just need to have one like Kyle. Well, and I should probably call your coach Kyle, but like, <laughs> like uh, uh, you just need one. Like, you just need one, right? Right. And you, and you just need one that sees your strengths, right? I'm not like my teammate, Devin Lloyd. He has all 32 teams that are just <laughs> drooling over him. Right. Yeah. Which I'm so excited for him, but I don't, I won't have that. I don't need that. I just need one, maybe two um, to see, you know, my strengths and what they, what I can do and things like that. that and like, and then I fit into that role and I feel like that's just kind of how the best relationships are made anyways. When you see the strengths of someone. Totally. But listening to you, I'm like, man, they just need to, you need to find that one. We got to go figure this out. Let's send this game film out of just you talking about how you did the punts and let's get it moving. Uh, all right. Uh, next question. What books or podcasts have been kind of either most influential in your life that you, you love to go back to or current ones that are just on top of mind? Yeah. Well, obviously I'll, I would say all of my, my grandpa's stuff has been extremely influential on me. I've read it multiple times over the seven habits and these different books, you know? Um, so those, and then the classics like man's search for meaning and, and the Victor Frankl stuff and, you know, all of those things, a, a, a podcast that I love is my brother Steven's podcast. Um, it's great. It's called paradigm shifting books. And it's just, you know, it leads you to great books and it's led me to some of my favorite reads. And, uh, it basically is a quick summary and interview of the author of those books. So I'm pretty sure it's, you know, similar to a podcast like this, but that podcast has been great for me and, and very influential and led me to some of my favorite things. So shout out to that. <laughs> if anyone wants to go look at that. That's a huge shout out. So paradigm, what's called paradigm game? shifting books. Yeah. Paradigm shifting books. All right. Yeah. Uh, if you don't follow, make sure you go. I'm adding it to my list as well. Uh, uh, next question. Um, when you're either working out, and this may be a different answer for different things, working out, driving your car, walking across campus, and you've got your uh, headphones in, 
what's on your playlist right now? What are some of your favorite artists or songs that are on your playlist? Uh, my, my music selection ranges from, you know, 70s music to rap songs. So who knows what's on my playlist? It can be a, you know, as a, a plethora of things. My, like some of my pregame music is Coldplay. Like people look at me and think, what in the world, right? Um, so I love to bounce from genre to genre. Now that I, you know, I love Spanish music, uh, classic. I was listening to some with my wife the other night. So my, my, my podcast is pretty, you know, there's no rhyme or reason to it. It's just a, a, a mixture of all things. Well, but to your point though, you said your playlist before a game would be Coldplay. What is it about uh, the type of music you're choosing before a game? Like what's yeah. your, what's your mentality for choosing that music? Yeah. Well, everybody gets, gets ready for a game differently. I have to calm myself down. Yep. Me too. And so I, I have a, there's a song called Color Atura by Coldplay. I, I listen to right before I go out of the locker room. Cause it's just this long, like symphonic melody that most people would you know, not consider a great song to listen to before a game, but it just, it helps me a lot. Awesome. All right. So before I bring my son, Luke Odom in here to talk to you, what is the best piece of either leadership advice or um, change advice? You know, like I've got to get better. I've got to improve myself that mm. you received recently or you've just come across recently. Yeah. Um, Ooh, that's a good question. I would say the best piece of advice that I've received, and this might be specific to kind of where I'm at in my life, because it's the first time I'm experiencing it. Um, but my cousin, Colin Cole, uh, who I just love, he's like one of my best friends since I was a little kid, my age, right? Just an awesome guy. He just shared with me advice. He says every time he said, every time that you are told or think that this is a once in a lifetime opportunity, uh, don't, don't stress or press about it because there are five more of those opportunities around the corner. And, you know, I think that's more just specific to me where I'm at in my life, because this is the first time that I can, you know, go on a podcast or, you know, with the name image and likeness changes, you know, that I could partner with a company, things like that, that I started to get these opportunities and options and everything felt like just a once in a lifetime and that advice really helped me because I just realized like figure out what you want and what's most important basically because there will be more opportunities and that way you'll get a sense of what is really a once in a lifetime opportunity not just because it's there um so that helped me a lot well side note man I know this is our first time meeting as much as I've known you know your dad and uncles for a while I just want to yeah. say um I'm inspired by talking to you like I feel like uh, there's a huge plan for your life. Who knows what it is exactly going to look like, but I feel Thanks. like um, you've been blessed with the spirit that is uh, of courage, of one that, um, you know, of grit. And I just am excited to to be a part of seeing where you're going to go with this. And I hope in some Thanks, way, as you're starting out there, I hope we can take some clips here and get your, your game film out so people know who they're getting when they're uh, considering yeah. you versus anybody else. It's going to be a wide receiver or returner for them. Um, Thanks, so, Dustin. I say, I mean, sincerely, like, I just want to let you know. I Thank you. No, seriously. On my heart, I just wanted you to know that before we get off. But before we do, I've got this eight-year-old. I have no idea what he's about to ask you. Yeah. So this may or may not make the final cut, but we're going to try it. Hop in here, Luke. Hey Luke. Right there. Say hi. What's Hello. your name? Hi. hi. <laughs> Say my name is. My name is Luke. Nice Luke. to meet you, Luke. What's your name? <laughs> I'm my name's Britton. Nice to meet you. Yeah, it's nice to meet you, buddy. He doesn't remember, but uh when you ran the the kickoff back uh against Ohio State in the Rose Bowl, I showed him the picture and he's like, oh my gosh, he's passed. I'm like, yes, unlike yeah. anybody in this family. Uh, yeah, I was just trying to run away from the bigger guys. Yeah. <laughs> is there any questions you want to ask? Um, what was the um, toughest um, team you had to play in a game? Toughest team I had to play? Oh, that's a good question. When I was a sophomore, I played against a team called Washington. And that team was really good. And they also were really they kind of were out to get me a little bit. I got hit pretty hard that game. I cracked a rib. 
I dislocated my shoulder. I, it was a pretty rough game for me. So I sometimes I don't like to think about that game, but that was a that was a good team that I played against. Any other questions you want to ask? Um, whether it's about like leadership or life or something that you just want to get better at, something that you're interested in. Um, not really. How about this? How about this? It's in, what's your favorite sport? Uh, golf. How about you ask him what his best round is, and you can compare rounds. What was your best round of golf? My best round of golf? Well, it was actually last year I shot a 70 at, um, at what's it called? Um, spacing my mind. Hobble Creek. Tell him, tell him you're asking for 18 holes, not nine holes, Brent. I'm asking for 18 holes. <laughs> <laughs> you're already learning the dad jokes. <laughs> <laughs> that's 70. That's awesome. You know, tell him what your best score is so far. 80 on 18. Wow, are you kidding me? That's amazing. This kid, this kid shot, he played his first tournament when he was four and shot, I think, uh, 41. 44. 44. 44 when he was four. Uh, from like, on nine. He knows. What's your handicap? You're going to need to give me some strokes if we play. See? Okay. <laughs> well, so he's going to be going to the NFL draft here shortly. So do you want to wish him luck? I wish you good luck on the NFL draft. Thanks, Luke. Thanks, buddy. I'm going to figure it out regardless, though, right? I wish you good luck on the tour. <laughs> Say thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Uh, Britton, that was awesome, man. He was so nervous. So He's cute. like, what's your name? Who are you? I'm like, oh, you know who this is. All right. Oh, man. Well, Britton, this was awesome, man. Thanks for making our day. Oh, yeah, of course. Please support us by subscribing to our YouTube channel, uh, podcast on Apple or Spotify, and Help us celebrate the beautiful, messy work of shaping human potential.